You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. This is Socks in the Basement. For fans, by fans, 30 minutes of socks. It's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard the ad at the beginning of the show. Listen, now is the time to schedule for the spring. Make sure you set up your appointment right now. You get money off if you mention Socks in the Basement. 708-330-4466 or go to FamilyDry.com. My friend, this is the last show before Christmas. Yes. There will not be an episode coming out on Friday. Promised myself that all the shows on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, uh, we're going to get a break. I'm taking a week off. The last show on the network actually comes out tomorrow morning uh, on a different podcast. And then there's nothing until we join you a week from today here on Socks in the Basement. So uh, we're going to take a little break. We're going to enjoy the holidays, but we got a lot to get to on today's episode. W- what do you think people want to hear about first? Well, what they'd really like to hear about is, is that uh, right this second, right now, the CBA ended and Rick Hahn just went out and basically signed an entire all-star cast <laughs> of right fielders, starting pitchers, second basemen, and relievers. Yeah. And traded Craig Kimball for all of them at one time, thus recouping everything Nick Madrigal could have been and more. However, that's not real. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a great Christmas present, but not going to happen. It would be. No. It would be, but but you know, it, you look at the latest CBA news, and they're they're barely talking right now. I mean, so we're left with what? We've got some minor league deals. Rick's been busy, and you know, I I think personally, the stuff that's exciting now for Sox fans is maybe, you know, looking at the players that are going to be here that you're still going to be able to get behind. Like for example, there's some things that in our conversation with Liam Hendricks in the last episode, go and listen to what Liam Hendricks had to say about this team and about you know really about himself and about uh, you know the game and about giving at this time of year. I think he gave a, some really important messages there. So I think stuff like that is is kind of the fun thing is sort of pouring into these guys a little bit more to the extent that you can and and learning uh, you know learning kind of to love your team in a, in a in a different kind of a way, not just getting excited about the stats because that, you know, that's what we're left with in the off season, right? Is, is figuring these guys out. Well, Liam Hendricks made me get excited about White Sox baseball during a lockout because I was ready to run through a wall after listening to him talk about there's 162 practice games and then the real games start and it's world series or bust and going over guys that he thinks are going to have big turnarounds. I mean, he's partial to the bullpen. We heard him say that, uh, you know, he thinks Aaron bummer had bad luck and he's excited about what he's going to do. And he also is really high on Ryan Burr. And I was like, wow. And he's like, like, I was like, I did not have Ryan Burr on my bingo card of guys that I was waiting to see take a next step next year. But Liam Hendricks thinks he's going to be a force coming out of the bullpen. So I, there were different things in that interview that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed listening to him talk a little bit about what it's like being on the mound in really intense games with crowds. And and, and I kind of want to pull the curtain back just real quickly because I know people are kind of curious. We've had a lot of people reach out and go, well, how did Liam Hendricks end up on sacks in the basement? And I'm not going to give away everything about it, but I will tell you this. It was basically we asked. We just kind of like, you know, reached out and, you know, we started the whole conversation and we're like, hey, would you be interested in going for that $1,000 for the South Slider Society? And it was a, yeah, that'd be really cool. 
And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America, who wants to help everybody out with their insurance, their small businesses, their medium-sized businesses, uh, you know, even if you are already done with open enrollment, now's the time to get started on next year, lower the cost for your employees, for you, if you're an HR person, you want to reach out to him, go out to EliteBenefits.net and check out everything he has to offer. But that thousand bucks he put out there, the thousand dollars to bring us bring us the biggest guest, which now your bar is extremely high because yeah. we have we've had Liam Hendricks. We've had, yeah, we've had David Sampson and Liam Hendricks so far as the two contestants. But Liam, as his own contestant, trying to win the thousand dollars for a society was just kind of a fun thing, and we were excited to have him on the show. I will tell you this though. Man, touch and go over the last couple of weeks. Like, it was like one of those things where even when we had him on, he was missing because he had screwed up the time difference because he was out in Arizona. The agent's looking for him. We finally get him. He's in the car. He's rushing home. There's something wrong with his water. He's leaving a complex where he's working out. And so all we could do is that Bluetooth over the car. And let me tell you something. That was much harder to hear when we were interviewing him. There's an awful lot of post-production to make Hendricks as clear as we made him. And I know it wasn't the best phone call you've ever heard on this show. Like, it's like one of those things where you kind of like, I oh, might have to turn it up just a little bit. Plus you got the fact that he's got the Aussie accent, but I was happy we were able to pull it off. And it was, it was really cool to have him on. The nice thing though, is that, you know, when you do get the players on like that, when you do get a chance to kind of talk to them. And, and I remember, for example, going into last year, Tim Anderson, giving an interview on, on uh, the score, I believe he was on, I think he was on six seventy to score. Yeah, on the score. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they kind of got him to sit there and, and just, you know, drop his guard a little bit and, and basically declare that the White Sox were the best team. And, um, you know, when you hear that and you get a chance to get that personality, that's, I think, what, you know, that's when players sort of endure with us. You know, if you were to sit there and say, was Ozzie Guillen, for example, anybody's favorite player growing up, you, you'd probably find some folks who like the way he played defense or you know, it felt some connection to him as a baseball player. But when did Ozzy become a legend in this town? It's when they gave him a microphone after every single game, right? And you got an idea of just exactly what he was as a person. And I think, you know, you did all that post-production work to make Liam sound good, but the charm is all Liam Hendricks. Man. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I, you know, we've you and I have both done a bunch of interviews in our lives, and I will say that that is one of those where, I could have talked to that guy for hours if he had it. And I don't think we would have run out of things to talk about. I think he would have just hung out and started talking about just anything with us. And it would have gone on forever. Like he hung out after we ended the show and chit chatted with us while he was driving along in the, in the car. And he was like, Oh, we'll have to get back together again sometime. And just a very personable guy. And it, it's nice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we probably could have gone at least uh, at least 20 minutes on scorpions versus all the things that try and kill you in Australia. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Sometimes when you meet people that you look up to or you admire um, and, you know, I ad- I admire what Liam Hendricks does on the mound. And I'm a White Sox fan. First and foremost, simply simply put, I'm a White Sox fan. OK, that's cool that we got to that's talk. That's why we're to. doing this, right? Yeah. I mean, like I was I, I mean, like. Forget anything else. Forget the amount of people that listen to it. Forget the fact that it was, you know, tweeted and retweeted and all this other stuff. And people that I don't even know are reaching out and saying, hey, congratulations on getting him and everything else like that. First and foremost, it's cool to talk to him. But, you know, sometimes you meet somebody who's famous and it turns out they're kind of a jerk or they're just not very nice to you. And, you know, you kind of go, oh, well, that that's not what I pictured him to be. At least in our conversation before, during and even after the stuff that aired. 
He just seemed like just what you would expect him to be. And I thought that was cool. You know, if I was a fan of him beforehand, I'm a bigger fan now. By the way, my nephew uh, has been walking around in White Sox gear since it aired. And I think we may have converted a young Cubs fan over to the uh, the good side. I think, like, I mean, like, that's something that occurred. I, I saw him over this weekend and the kids walk around in a Sox hat. Tell, and and, and my, my son goes, Liam, are you, are you a Sox fan now? And he goes, I think I am now. Like, like, just the fact that Liam Hendricks gave him a message about the fact that he should go to the White Sox. I mean, I think I've disappointed his father. I think he's a little hurt that I basically dragged his son back over to the White Sox. But you got to do whatever you can, you know? That's my job as an uncle. I got to put the kid on the straight and narrow. I got to get him on the right path. And I'm going to pull out every trick I can. And if it's getting Liam Hendricks to talk to my my nephew over my podcast and convince him to be a White Sox fan, I'm doing it. Well, that's just how you have to raise children in this environment. <laughs> let's face it. I, I mean, the world is hard enough as it is. Yes. I don't want him to have to go through a life a Cubs fan. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I say that like we win World Series all the time. I mean, give me a break. Right. It's, it's a miserable right. existence yeah. to be a White Sox fan sometimes, too. Meanwhile, there's a Yankees fan hate listening to this going, oh, keep talking, you two. Yeah, keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Right. We didn't even mention the Yankees, but somewhere a Yankees fan is angry because they were. Now you mention them. So now they feel better. So now there's a Red Sox right. fan who's angry because they're just as bad. Right. Right. And there's a Cardinals <laughs> fan who's just sitting there trying to, you know, get in on the action. And Sox in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Joining me on the phone line right now from Socks on 35th. Remember, you can get Socks in the Basement now at Socks on 35th. In addition to everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. I've been reading this guy's stuff. He goes by the handle on Socks on 35th of Millennial Socks. I know him as Adam Kaplan. How are you, Adam? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. And to all the Socks in the Basement listeners, I just want to apologize up front that, uh, you have to listen to me right after that Austin Morgan Hendricks interview. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry. I mean, look, somebody had to follow Hendrix, and it just ended up being you. So there's absolutely no pressure at all for you to uh, continue to entertain people at the exact same level as an Australian multi-time all-star, three-time Roberto Clemente award winner, and the uh, star closer for the White Sox can entertain them. So you're, you're, you're almost on the same level, right? So close. I'm so close to being there. You wrote a really good article that I liked. Uh, I read it last week. It's still up there on SoxOn35th.com. We never got to it because we ended up having to bump you a little bit because of Hendrick. So I wanted to get you on this week and talk about it. And you basically went through every trade that Rick Hahn has made, which when you get it all in front of you is really interesting because some of these deals, I don't even remember. 
some of these deals were like minor deals. I didn't pay any attention to. And I'm like, Whoa, hold on a second. That guy turned into something or that guy didn't turn into something that I thought was going to be something. Was there any deal that when you got to it, you were like, Oh, I remember this one. This was a lot different in the end than what I thought it was. Rickon ended up making a total of 59 trades. So many of those trades just end up being nothing. But like when I started this, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to touch on the major trades. Not realizing he made so many trades. I worked on this art- article much longer than I, than I wanted to. Um, Cause he made just so many minor trades, but the, the one trade that was like, oh yeah, I, I totally forgot about that was uh, the Jake Peavy trade. Just because it happened so early in Rick Hahn's career as general manager of the White Sox. And also, when you look at the players he actually acquired at the time, like all those, three out of those four players kind of turned into something. He traded away Peavy, who, as we all know, wasn't very good for the Sox during his tenure. But we, he got back uh, Frankie Montas and J.B. Wendelkin from the um, Red Sox. And he got back Avisel Garcia from the Tigers in that trade because it was a, a three-team trade. And when you look at that now, Frankie Montas is a pretty darn good pitcher for Oakland right now. Wendelkin's a not-bad reliever. And Avisel Garcia, I mean, say what you want about him. He's, he's still an above-average right fielder, which the White Sox are desperately in need of right now. Well, you know, and the crazy thing about that deal is it brings you to the fact that Montaz gets brought into the system and then they end up dealing him away. And he'd be one of those guys right now, if you were able to get him off of the A's, you'd be encouraged. And it's a shame when you see some of these guys that came into the organization and were later traded away or guys that were traded away. You're like, man, I wish I had that guy right now. Hindsight's twenty twenty. The Tatis deal, I always say, somebody should have known he was really good, but I can't put that all on the general manager based upon where he was in his development. Nobody had heard of him. But uh, besides Tatis and maybe even Montaz, is there anybody else that you were like, wow, I, like, how did we end up letting this guy go? Because look what he turned into. You know, the one guy that I think kind of sticks out right now is Marcus Simeon, a guy who obviously would have been great if we had signed him this offseason. When you look at that trade at that time, for he was traded away as part of the deal for Jeff Samarja. He wasn't he wasn't a guy that really you thought would have been as a part of this White Sox team. You didn't think he was going to be. I don't think a lot of people really thought he was going to be as good as he turned into. And I think Rick Hahn especially was probably more than happy to throw Simeon into that deal. He's like you you want this guy? Sure. And I kind of think part of it is that. I really wonder if the White Sox had kept him, if he really would have turned out as good as he now is. I mean, we've kind of seen what the White Sox development system has been over the past couple of years. And I think he's a guy who Oakland very smartly was very, very patient with him and now turned into the superstar that he now seems to be. I mean, he did have a career year last year. Maybe he won't be that good all the time, but he's still we would have gladly taken on the second base of who we're probably going to end up with right now. You know, one of the deals that I always forget about, because originally it was for a player to be named later, Alex Rios and a million dollars to the Rangers for a player to be named later who later turns out to be Larry Garcia. And it, and, and it wasn't even like he asked for Garcia initially. Like Garcia's on a list of players that he can choose from at a later date with Texas. 
And here's a guy that, like, yeah, he's not an everyday starter. I've said that before. I don't believe that Lira Garcia is an everyday starter, but he's a contributor on a team right now that has been to the postseason for the last two years and expects to go back for several years here in the future, and he's been just re-signed by the team. That, to me is one of those deals where you sit there and say that was that was that worked out perfectly. I don't think you could have gotten better for Rios at that time. Yeah, I, I mean getting rid of Alex Rios's contract at the time to the range, I mean we had to send him a million dollars, but I think he was due like 24 or 25. So, getting rid of Alex Rios at the time was already a win. And I think you're right. Like how often does players to be named later like turn into anything? It's almost like a throw-in. It's almost probably like a reliever. Sometimes, you know, going through this list, the player to me named later was just cash. It was just like, we don't even really want anybody. Just give us some cash. And I'm with you. I'm not the biggest Lurie Garcia fan, but the fact that we were able to get him for a player that, like, we just wanted to get rid of his salary anyway is, is a huge one. Unsurprisingly, it's, it's super high in my list because the Game 3 home run alone is already – it's dividends from getting rid of Alex Rios' contract. At the end of the article, you put three trades, basically. You got Quintana uh, for Jimenez, Cease, and then, of course, a couple other players, Rose and, and Fleet. But essentially, Quintana for Jimenez and Cease. Sale for Mancada and Kopech, even though uh, Victor Diaz and Luis Alexander Basabi were in that one. Essentially, sale for Mancada and Kopech. And Adam Eaton, where you get Giolito, Lopez, and Dane Dunning, who's later flipped for Lance Lynn. And you did him in that order, 3-2-1, with the Eaton deal being the, the best one, at least, on your list. Is that really your number one, or did you just kind of throw them all in there? And if it is your number one, is it really because you're also able to turn around and move Dunning to pick up Lynn in the end? Very obviously, Rick Hunt made three trades that are by far and away the best three trades, getting Eloy and... Uh, Dylan Tease, Mankata, and Giolito, the trades that help build the core that the Sox have today. I didn't feel too strong. I, just that they're so very obviously the top three, I don't really feel too strongly about which one. If you wanted to flip any of them, I think you, you could easily make that argument. But the reason I put Adam Eaton for Giolito, uh, Ray Lowe, and Dane Dunning number one was just because even if you didn't flip Dane Dunning, all those players have turned out to be useful starting players. So often in these trades, you can see through the article, you trade out who you think is going to be good, and they just they flame out for some reason. You trade a guy hoping he'll be good, and it doesn't work out. And the fact that it worked out ultimately with all three of those players is pretty good. Even if you didn't flip Dan Dunning, he would have been a solid pitcher on this team. The fact that you were able to flip him for Lance Lynn is just incredible. Um, and I also think, and this is just a personal preference, I think Lucas Giolito, out of all the players that Rick Hunt traded for, is the best player. Now, again, you can quibble with Kopech or Mankata or Eloy, but I think what Giolito has been able to do for the Sox for the past uh, three seasons I, and do it so well on a high level and to be so consistent, I just personally think he's the best player that Rickon acquired uh, for the rebuild. Well, and I also think that at the time, I remember feeling like, well, Chris Sale's a piece. We should get something good back for him. Jose Quintana's a piece. We should get something back for him. When he pulled a deal off to get three players that were rated as high as they were in the national system 
for Adam Eaton. And look, it worked out for the Nationals. Don't they go on and win a World Series with Eaton on their roster? So it works out fine for them. But still, like that was a haul that I never expected for Adam Eaton. So the fact that he pulled that off, I think I side with you on that. As, as much as I love the other deals, as much as I think Dylan Cease is a high-end pitcher and you get him and Jimenez for just one pitcher, the fact that they moved Eaton for so much, I don't think any of us expected at the time that he was worth as much as he ended up being worth. And, you know, another trade that's mentioned in the article is the trade to the Yankees for Frazier, uh, David Robertson, and Tommy Conley. I mean, that was there were four major trades that Rick Hahn made. That one, very obviously, didn't really turn out to be anything. The core of that piece, Blake Rutherford, he was a first-round pick for the Yankees, Blake Rutherford. So just because you're, you're trading away for pieces, I think, you know, you hope that they turn out well. And in the case of trading away uh, Quintana, Sale, and Eaton, the fact that we were able, Han was able to get so much in return, I, I think it's just been so fun to see as a fan. The Art of Food is at TT's Restaurant in Westchester. Brand new location, their second one they've opened in the Chicagoland area. Thai, Vietnamese, and French cuisine. You can check out the entire menu online at their location or just stop on by and see them. It's a really nice little spot. 11055 Roosevelt Road in Westchester. They've got a beautiful bar inside. Everything's brand new. Uh, The food is spectacular. There's different portions depending on what you want to do. Like if there's food you want to try and you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, get a big portion of something. I've never had French food. There's appetizers. You can try stuff out. I, I feel that this is one of those places like you want to impress somebody. You know, you want to you want to you want to make somebody feel special. Bring them the TTs. Fine dining located in Westchester. Once again, eleven zero fifty five Roosevelt Road. And you can check out everything they have to offer at TTsRestaurant.com. It's not spelled the way it sounds. T H I T H I Restaurant.com. So we mentioned before, Rick Hahn's been busy. He's been signing a bunch of minor league pitchers basically right getting these minor league deals done yeah you know we had we had talked a little bit about one of the goals for the Sox in the offseason was to try and get around being so predictable with the pitchers arsenals and i'm a little concerned with the guys that they've picked up really see because with graveman remember he pitched like five or six pitches right and he kind of like can move some things around, and he was throwing things that we weren't seeing everybody else throw in the postseason. I thought that was a step towards, you know, trying to find more variety in what's being thrown up there. I, I agree with you. I think Graveman's a step in the right direction for that, although I'm I'm starting to get a little worried that they're going to try and take some of that away from him and, and, you know, narrow it down. But one of the things that we talked about coming out of the ALDS was fastball slider, fastball slider, right? Yeah. And... That was sort of the predictable pattern for everybody. You know, Lance Lynn, sure. Cutter, you know, sinkers. But basically it was use something hard to set up a slider as a wipeout pitch. And when the Astros didn't bite on it, there were problems. And, you know, I think you have a situation developing here where I'm wondering if, like, you know, how Coop was – show everybody how to throw a cutter, right? And and that was the Sox calling card. It, was, it seemed like everybody for a while there, Don Cooper got a hold of him, taught him how to throw a cutter, and that ideally made him a better pitcher. 
you know, it gave him gave him a new wrinkle in their arsenal and fixed something. I'm wondering if Ethan Katz is a slider whisperer or believes he is a slider whisperer because let's look at the minor league guys. Well, here, here. Who's who have they signed since the lockout began? All the guys they've signed. They've signed Rios and Finnegan. We know the most about because Mendoza and Robles are essentially international signings. I don't know if you know a lot about them, but uh, Finnegan's had some time in the majors and he's been a starter and a reliever. And we talked about this before. I was high on the possibilities with him and Yaxel Rios. It has potential that is unrealized at this point. So are they are? Is it all four of them you're talking about? Is it just the two guys we know? Well, it, it, the international guys, I think, I think international guys come across a little bit differently too, though, because they they sometimes come with their own different background, right? So the most of the minor league signings though have been so Finnegan is a guy whose bread and butter pitch, his out pitch is is slider, and that's why he's a much better reliever than a starter. He just does not have a big arsenal. Rios is a guy that throws, he gets outs with a slider and he tries to kind of Aaron bummer it with that sort of sinker slider action. Right. So, but the slider and maybe a splitter are his out pitches, but then you also have guys like cam Hill. He was a guy that was hurt when he was with the Indians and is making a comeback. He's a slider guy. He's a breaking ball guy. Jason Adam, who was a cub and got hurt. He's a breaking ball guy. Chaz Rowe is a guy that throws some ridiculous looking sliders. So, and then, you know, even Ryan Burr, who, you know, has been referenced as a breakout guy, kind of fits in a profile here, too, a little bit of guys that want to get you out by throwing a slider, but need something to set it up so that you'll chase, right? And that was the problem with the Sox and the the ALDS was when teams hit the pitch that was going to set up that slider or didn't chase the slider, that's when you had something like, say, Carlos Correa sitting on... Carlos Rodon's fastball because he knew that if he wasn't going to go for the slider, if they weren't going to throw him that, that all Rodon has was a pitch upstairs and he had scouted him really well. I'm starting to wonder if the White Sox are trying to develop a pattern here of we want high strikeout guys, so we're going to go after guys with these tight, freewheeling sliders that naturally have control problems because you can't throw those for strikes very often. Even even Dylan Cease kind of has this, right, where sometimes he'll get a little, you know, his breaking balls will move like mad but he can't get anywhere near the strike zone because it's just it's moving away on him so is there i wonder if there's something going to go on here where the Sox are going to be willing to as a team give up the idea that they will give up a lot of walks coming out of that bullpen but as long as there's a guy you know as long as each guy has a pitch that he can induce a swing and a miss on that's what they're going for and i'm not sure that that's a i'm not sure that that's a great idea no, the way you say it scares me, and I and I hope that we are not the kind of team where because that was the problem with Coop. That was it when people complained about Don Cooper and look, Don Cooper is a great pitching coach. It, he has a big part in the fact that the White Sox went and won a World Series in 2005. Okay, I mean he handled his bullpen very well. Those guys loved him. They thought he was great at what he did. You, you can't take away what he did, even if he aggravated you in certain ways. But the thing that was one of the the main concerns, I think, of White Sox fans, especially towards the end, was it was a little one-dimensional how he coached and what he he taught them to do, the cutter, as you brought up. So if Ethan Katz is a guy who loves the slider and the really hard stuff, uh, all right, but if we're not diverse, we're just going to run into the same thing in the postseason. Now, it seems to me like the players realize we can't be the same in the postseason, or at least Liam Hendricks realizes that, because he did talk about that. 
He did talk about that in the interview, if you remember. He's talking a little bit about how, you know, we ran into a team that's really good analytically, that kind of figured out what we were doing, we didn't match up very well with. He did talk about the fact that uh, it's 162 games of practice before we get to the postseason. So at least he's got the perspective of we're playing the regular season to win as many games as we can, but then when we get to the postseason, that's what matters. And you hope the White Sox are feeling that way as well. If you're going to set up your bullpen to be a certain thing, there should be some data or something that tells you this is how we have to set it up for those those games after the regular season. Those matter more, Ed, to me. Does it really matter if they get there and they just get knocked out in the first round again? I don't want that. I don't want a string of division wins and then just hoping that everything falls perfectly for this team where you just run into teams that just are terrible against the slider. Because if they if they run into the Astros again or a team like them, it'll be the same result. And then it's just been a whole waste for an entire year. It won't ever all the excitement of the season before will just be like fool's gold that will make you feel good about the team when the inevitable is waiting for them in the postseason. So that's really what needs to be addressed by this by this franchise, by this front office, and by this coaching staff. So yes, you make me nervous. Although these are minor league signings. And so maybe all these guys are really competing for just one spot in the bullpen and they're just looking for the one that does something the best that's going to beat out the rest of them. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, is, is that it might just be if they're looking for a certain profile of pitcher to fill in, then it's kind of like when Russell Crowe is confronted in Gladiator as, and asked what his name is by Commodus. What is your name? My name is Gladiator. Well, what are all these guys' names? My name is Middle Reliever. Hey, that might be what we're doing here. We just know we want a middle reliever that does that one thing, right? That does that that fastball with the wipeout slider. We've got a bunch of guys that are this close to being really effective out of the bullpen being able to do that. And rather than going out and spending money on a guy in free agency who's figured it out, we figure we'll get one of these guys fixed, and that's a role in the bullpen. That would make sense to me. That And that is what calms me, because when you started this discussion— you scare me. You scare me when you do that stuff. Like, oh no, that's it. They're just all going to be the same pitcher coming out of the bullpen again, and we're going to get crushed in the postseason. And I don't want to hear that. Now is the time for holiday cheer. All right. I, 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 right now, I've got I've got cookies being made upstairs. I can smell them. The wife makes enough cookies for an entire yeah, army. Yeah. I want to focus on that. I don't want to be worrying about White Sox postseason baseball uh, next year with uh, a one-dimensional bullpen. I mean, look, if we figured it out here on Sox in the Basement, you would hope that the White Sox figured it out, right? Right. That's, you know, a healthy assumption to make. Now, I do have a question about your holiday chair. Why do you keep the mistletoe on the back of your hood? (laughs) What's supposed to be kissed? Sox in the Basement. Sox in the Basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.